Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on Greenberg, the new Noah Baumbach film. I was going to say comedy, but do we know if it's a comedy, John? Uh, I don't think I laughed once, but I, I, I guess it, I don't think I actually don't think it is a comedy. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll just call it the new Noah Baumbach film drama something. Yeah. So here with me in the studio is John Swansburg. Hi, John. Hi. Who's Slate's culture editor and who also went with me to see Greenberg last night. And who differed with me, not super strongly, but we did differ on the movie, right? I, I think that I, I tolerated it more you than liked you did. It. You liked it more than I did, definitely. You, I believe your words walking out of it were, I hated every minute of that. <laughs> I, did I say that? I'm, I, I think you're right that I said that. I don't know. Now, the next day, I feel a little bit less uh, hatred towards it. There were moments in the movie that, looking back on it, I think were okay. What I really didn't like, maybe a better way of putting it was, I really disliked, maybe hated, spending two hours in the company of the character of Greenberg. Um, which I think is actually part of the point of the movie. So that's that's different than saying I hated the movie. Um, well, let's walk through what the story is so people can see why he, he was either... I, I agree that he's meant to be a guy that's very hard to be around. I guess the question is, you know, whether you you as a viewer experience that as reason to flee the theater. Or right. Not. I think that's the central question of, uh, around this movie. So as the movie begins... Actually, as the movie begins, we don't see Greenberg. The first person we see is Florence, the female lead, played by Greta Gerwig, who we see driving along the sun- Sunset Strip, I think, in her yeah. car. Which is an interesting choice, I thought. We can maybe come back to that. But the, the, we get a lot of that character before we ever see Greenberg. Yeah, it's almost as if... Yeah, she sort of provides this little first chapter of the movie, and you think it's going to be a movie about her. And it starts out quite interesting, showing her day, her frantic day, um, at her job, which is being a personal assistant to this well-off family in the Hollywood Hills. We don't know exactly what they do or where their money comes from, but they live in a beautiful 1920s mansion up in the Hollywood Hills. Right. Chris Messina plays the the father, the paterfamilias of this family, and we don't learn very much about the family. We just learn that she is this young, in her mid-20s, personal assistant who's running around, getting them ready for this big trip, buying things that they need, packing their bags, um, getting instructions about feeding their dog, and right. they're all about to take off for Vietnam for this big trip, and she's going to have this big house. She's not staying in the house, but she's going to be responsible for running this big house. Right. And it's the first 15 minutes of the movie or so. Right. And then you want to take it away with the Greenberg? Part? Sure. So at the same time... Um, while while Philip Greenberg and his family are away for six weeks in Vietnam, Philip's brother, Roger, is going to come and live in their house, kind of as a house sitter. He's building a dog house for their dog, uh, a German shepherd named Mahler. And, but he's also, we sort of get in dribs and drabs, uh, he's sort of a 40-year-old guy who's had a recent uh, setback. He, he was, I think, uh, institutionalized briefly for some kind of mental breakdown. It's not exactly clear what the nature of it was, but he's sort of um, this guy who's uh, hit a rough patch. And so Philip Greenberg has invited Roger to come sort of live in their house and, I guess, sort of you know, regroup, get his, get his life together. Um, so he, uh, when, when Philip leaves, Roger uh, moves in to the house. Um, and of course, he eventually runs into the Florence character. Florence comes by to pick up a check, I think it is, and they, they have their first meeting. Um, and then rather quickly, those two um, become involved. I mean, it is involved even the, the, right, the right word here. There's a very, in a very abrupt fashion, they have a sexual uh, uh, interlude. Which... Let's talk about the scene where they first get involved, because okay. you and I also read that really, really differently, I thought. I think I did actually laugh aloud during that scene. It's a classic Noah Baumbach scene in that he specializes in the comedy of cringe, right? And right. incredible awkwardness between people and, you know, messages that don't get through. Right. So 
as it starts out, she's sort of performing assistant duties for Roger Greenberg as well, right? His right. brother says, if you need anything, if you need errands or shopping done, she can do it for you. And he asks her to pick up whiskey and ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> exactly. Because we that, should was mention, a fu- that was a funny detail. Not we, laugh we out should, loud. We but. should mention a little bit about the kind of guy he is before we talk about them okay. being together, right? I mean, if you haven't been able to tell from the trailer and from the mere fact he's played by Ben Stiller, Greenberg is what? He's in his... Mid forties, maybe he's this incredibly sour, um, sort of uh, funny in a sharp-tongued way, but but sort of absolutely um, unmarried uh, guy. Of yeah, he's 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 a crank. Also, I mean, he's he's at once um, sort of diffident and um, depressed, and and also arrogant and loudmouthed. <laughs> Those things sound like they should maybe not be possible in the same person, but but they kind of are. Um, he's and incredibly misanthropic. Incredibly misanthropic. He. Um, yeah, he has. You know, he's he's constantly writing letters to um, like sort of major corporate entities, complaining about uh, perceived slights or or minor irritations. Like he, I think in the beginning he writes a letter to American Airlines, complaining that the buttons on his seat uh, in his, on his flight over from New York didn't work properly and were not allowing him to recline his chair in the way he wanted to. Um, and you know, so he's he's like that kind. Of, he's that kind of guy. He's uh, he's no fun to, to spend any time around. Right. So then the question becomes: since we know that he's that kind of guy from square one, what would this woman ever see in him? And should we or should we not root for them getting together? Right. Um, so so the first night that they do get together, do you want to describe what happens? And we can talk about our different interpretations of. Okay. So let let me see if I can remember. The um, he's sort of at home uh, doing nothing. Decides to give her a call, sort of on a lark, and ask her if she wants to go get a beer um, or get a drink. Um, and one of the funny details about him, and I think this, this is kind of a, a this was a nice detail, uh, is that Greenberg. One of the reasons he's so alienated in and at sea in L.A. is that he can't drive, so he's forever relying on people to drive him around. Um, so he asks um, Florence to come pick him up, and they decide they'll go to a bar. She forgets her purse. So she says, oh, we need to stop at my apartment first so I can get my purse, and then we can go out to the bar. Then they get to the, uh, her apartment, and they decide to they decide to just stay there and have a drink instead. So I think Greenberg is kind of um, prefers to do it that way. So she, But she doesn't really have anything to drink in the house, so they open the fridge, and there's a single Corona, and they decide to split the Corona. And there's a really awkward, and I thought funny moment, where they just stand there looking at each other and passing it back and forth, taking right. sips, right? And before the beer is even done, he grabs her and starts kissing her. And the They've next had two sips know, of beer each. <laughs> and there's virtually no conversation. Right. And the next thing you know, he throws her down on the bed and starts performing oral sex on her in this incredibly awkward and embarrassing scene that she obviously is is not into it at all, and, and soon after stops him and, and stands right. back up again. Right. So, so to you, this scene, you found this scene really offensive. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's offensive. I just I found it bizarre. Because like like you said, I think there's this open question as to whether we um, cannot whether we understand at all why the Florence character is interested in the Greenberg character. And I understand that sometimes um, attractive, uh, more or less winning uh, women fall for arrogant depressive, bossy men. I understand that that happens. And I understand that that could have happened here. But literally, they've had one brief conversation about ice cream sandwiches and whiskey and a to-do list. They've been in the car for seemingly five minutes. They have two or three sentences of, a, of an exchange in the apartment, two sips of beer, Cunnilingus. <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't understand. Like you know, I understand she's been set up in the beginning as being somewhat you know sexually um, willing to kind of you know go with the flow. She hooks up with a guy, and in the at the end at the tail end of the opening scene, we see her meet a guy at a bar and go home with him and sleep with him. Um, so her sort of um, sexual liberty has been established. Even so, this seemed like it seemed almost to me like there was a scene missing where there was some 
winning exchange between her, you know, her and him where he said something witty or made some, you know, world weary, but kind of fun, <laughs> funny observation or, you know, and kind of caught her eye. And, and so she thought to her, her, herself, oh, I will lie down on my mattress and let this guy awkwardly perform oral sex on me. Um, I understand that. I think the point of the scene, as you said, was Bombac wanted to give us this really um, awkward uh, sexual moment and actually turns out to be not the most awkward sexual moment arguably in the movie there's another one later that gives it a run for its money but it just it struck me as a little cheap like it was just there was no setup for them for for him taking her shirt off and, and going down on her so I don't know I completely agree that that scene did not fit into the expected rhythm of the romantic comedy and that there wasn't enough banter beforehand to, to justify their getting getting it on. Right. But I guess to me that was sort of the, the awkward, I'm not going to say beauty of that scene because I don't think it was... It was <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was perfectly done even as a you know awkward comedy of manners kind of thing. But I think the whole point was somewhat supposed to be, we've we've established before not only her sexual liberty but her sexual passivity, right? The, right. the guy that she goes home with earlier, she sort of hesitates at the door and says, uh, I, I just got out of a long relationship and the guy says this isn't a relationship in right. other words you know whatever I just want to use you and throw you away and she says oh okay and goes with him and throughout there's this ongoing there's this ongoing plot point that Greta Gerwig's character is kind of a doormat right, right? and that um, and that Greenberg mistreats her again and again I don't think that this is something that the viewer just has to discover and get outraged about in the movie it's something that's right there in the script right. so then the question becomes is this about two flawed people that we're rooting for to make something work or is this about you know, a doormat and a jerk, and we don't care if they get together. And I guess you would go with the latter on that. I would go with the latter. And I want to, I'm okay with her character being a doormat. I mean, I think that, that the dynamic could have been interesting. I felt like she was too much of a doormat and he was too much of a jerk. And as such, I was never rooting for them to get together. Um, and he really is a jerk to her. I mean, it's not just, you know, sort of forcing himself on her to some degree sexually in that scene. I mean, he's really, really cruel to her. Um, even sort of towards the end of the movie, at one point, he he tries to apologize to her, <laughs> and it's like one of the worst apologies that I could like in cinematic history. Like you know, he he um, he sort of recognizes that he's he's I guess like um, he's he's been really cruel to her verbally in a previous scene, and he sort of apologizes for it, but also basically says, "I'm apologizing for my half of what what went wrong in that scene, and it was all him that was wrong." You know, he was just screaming at her. I think what he was screaming at her about in that movie was the fact that she liked spending time with him. Right. I mean, do you remember that scene? Like he, he's basically she invites him uh, back to her apartment again, or or they, she suggests that they hang out again, and he basically balls her out for liking spending time with him. She's like, "You are not supposed to like do this. You shouldn't like spending time with me." But to see to me again, and, and I think that there are a few moments in this movie where you do see. Uh, redeeming characteristics in Greenberg, and that is sort of one of them. I think that's his own self-loathing, sort of trying to save her from a situation that he knows is going to be no good for her. I suppose. Let's talk about some of the other characters and some of the stuff that does work. I mean, I would argue that I think that you're right that in most of the scenes in which we see the main couple together, we don't want them to be together. Right. But I think that those those redeeming characteristics that Greenberg has peek out more in scenes with other characters. For example, his longtime best friend, who's played by the Welsh actor, I hope I'm saying his name right, Rhys Ifans. Um and the two of them are supposed to have been friends from 20 years back, right? Right, But not to have seen each other in some time and to have grown apart. And uh, and many, many years before, I guess back in the 80s, there was supposedly this chance that they were going to have a, a <clears throat> band deal, that they played in a band and they were going to be able to sign a record deal. Right. And that Greenberg, with his typical um, sort of purism, aesthetic purism, decided that the terms of the record deal were too corporate and it was going to compromise their integrity in some way, and he sabotaged the whole thing. Right. And all his band members, his former two band members, are still furious at him 20 years later for having done this. Right. 
And to me, some of these scenes with Reese Fonz, which were not all about the band question, but were just about their deteriorating relationship in general, were the moments in which you saw the funnier side of Greenberg or the, the more winning side of him. I thought that their friendship was quite well done. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, so so there were three band members who weren't Greenberg. Two of them basically are completely unhappy to see Greenberg show back up in Los Angeles and, and basically are dis, dismiss him. There was something sweet about the fact that Ivan, the Ifan's uh, character, sort of takes him back um, and sticks with him despite the fact... You can tell that Ivan recognizes all of, um, all of Greenberg's shortcomings, and yet he sort of feels this... Um, he sort of feels like he needs to, to stick with him. He's sort of like that, that. I mean, I think we all have friends like that who are people um, with whom we had a, a close bond at some point in our life. And then that, that that person does something or changes in a way that, you know, a lot of people leads a lot of people to kind of give up on them. Or but, doesn't change. In or does, case, right, right. Or doesn't he's change. He's radically dysfunctional because right. he's still the same person. Or becomes more concentrated. I, don't you feel like Greenberg in college was probably just as or was similarly insufferable, but maybe not quite like off the deep end the way he is now or something. Yeah, and like, I actually think that Stiller plays that quite well and, and Baumbach writes that quite well. That type, that type that, as you say, kind of solidifies and condenses into some kind of parody yeah. of themselves. Yeah, like he was probably like, like a really funny, snarky guy to hang out with in college. He would make fun of like the dorky kids or the cool kid. You know, he probably you could see him being somewhat charming because he, he can be funny and, and quite biting. But now it's just that kind of nasty, caustic nature that's left. There's no, there's no kind of joy in being around him. Anyway, um... It's sort of sweet that Ivan feels some um, some connection and some and some need to, to kind of look after him and and uh, and stick with him, despite the fact that uh, Greenberg is not only no fun to be around, but is actually actively mean to Ivan throughout the movie. Uh, at one point, Ivan takes uh, Greenberg out to dinner for his birthday and has the seemingly thoughtful, nice idea of ordering him, you know, a slice of cake with a candle in it and the bunch of waiters come over and sing happy birthday to Greenberg and Greenberg just totally flips out. He hate apparently hates it when people have birth- happy birthday sung to them uh, in public and he um, he just like screams a, a, a string of profanity at uh, at uh, Ivan and uh, stomps off. And, you know, the, like Ivan it doesn't even miss a beat. Like he there's no there's not even a moment where Greenberg calls him up and says, hey, sorry, I said sit on my dick to you when, <laughs> when you brought out the cake. He just sort of calls him up the next day and they said, hey, you want to hang out? Um, there is something sweet about that. At the same time. He's so um, Greenberg is so cruel to Ivan in so, on so many occasions in this movie that about three quarters of the way through, maybe a little bit earlier, I just wanted Ivan to dump him. I just didn't want him to put up with it anymore. He was another doormat, and I just didn't. I did, I personally had a hard time understanding why, like how you could put up with that guy. Well, that does as long as we're spoiling. That does eventually happen, and it, it does is happen. One of the more emotionally satisfying scenes of the movie is that right. very very late in the movie, um, after a really hostile exchange. Ivan basically tells him, I, I can't do this anymore, I can't be friends with you anymore, and, and storms out. And that's sort of the turning point for Greenberg, actually. In fact, let's go on and spoil what, what happens with him and, and Florence, the Greta Gerwig mm-hmm. character, as a result, I think, of this loss of his, his one friendship. I can't remember. Does he make the phone call to her after? That same night. It, but is it, it's the same night, but is it after the moment with Ivan? Oh, yeah, 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 because he mentions in the, in the phone call. Wait, they don't know what we're talking about. Sorry, okay. <laughs> so uh, towards the end of the, of the movie, Phillips... Philip Greenberg's wife has a daughter from a previous marriage who's like a 20-something co-ed. She shows up with a friend, and they throw this like bender at Green at the Greenberg household. Um, and I thought this movie was this scene was another good set piece, actually. So you have the 40-year-old bitter Greenberg completely surrounded by these these frothy, beautiful 20-somethings having this this wild party, 
and he proceeds to spend the entire party essentially trying to ruin it for them, right? right. Playing his Duran Duran music instead right. of letting them play their music. He does a lot of taking their drugs. all their drugs and then and then going on hostile rants to them. Yeah, they sort of they find him, uh, I think, bemusing at first when he's sort of doing his like "I'm old, you're young" shtick, and then he just gets annoying. Like the the sort of more drugged out he gets, and he's like jumping over people and fighting with people over the uh, the DJing rights. Anyway, so he gets like he gets high on coke. He does some he does some uh, like f- some over the counter pharmaceutical you know uh, psychotropic drugs. He uh, smokes some weed. He has this kind of heated moment with Ivan. Um, Ivan basically walks away. We we sort of assume for good, although who knows. Um, and then he kind of retires to a bedroom and he calls um, Florence. And Florence, I guess we need to backpedal a little bit more too. Florence doesn't pick up because she's recovering from having had an abortion um, the day before. It wasn't not of Greenberg's child. Not of Greenberg's child, of her ex-boyfriend's child. And Greenberg has sort of tried to be a, there for her um, during that uh, procedure. And to some extent, he is. To some extent, he isn't. He like called, he offers to take her to get the abortion, but he can't drive, so right. he has to get his friend to drive the two of them. There's all kinds of abject moments like that. That's true. And and uh, he's trying to think of what to to have waiting for her when she wakes up from the anesthesia after the procedure. And uh, Ivan sort of sensibly suggests flowers, although I suppose that might be a little bit weird too. But um, Greenberg thinks, no, she's going to be hungry, so he brings her what appears to be an In-N-Out burger. <laughs> that, that actually was a funny scene when she, Greta Gerwig, out of groggily wakes up from anesthesia and there's just like this close-up shot of a cheeseburger (laughs) in a wax paper wrapper (laughs) and uh, she obviously doesn't really want that right away anyway so he calls Florence who's who's you know at the hospital doesn't pick up and he leaves his kind of meandering voicemail uh, that was this was part was pretty well written too um Doing that does a bunch of different things. Among them, reassesses uh, Greenberg's own opinion of Wall Street. It has this, it has this uh, great riff on a, on the scene in Wall Street where Charlie Sheen, I guess, walks out on his uh, on his stoop or deck and says, uh, "Who am I?" Um, and he sort of Greenberg has his own kind of "Who am I?" moment and essentially confesses that he that he likes um, he likes Florence. He doesn't say I, "I love you." He says. I like you. And then he, he treats the voicemail as if it were a letter since he's such an inveterate letter writer. And he says, I like you. And then he signs off, love Greenberg. And it's, a, it's, sort, it's sort of sweet. Right? Well, and then that, that gets used in a way that I thought, I mean, although I can't say that I'm absolutely rooting for the two of them to get together at the end because it just seems like it's going to be so disastrous for her. I did think that cinematically there was, a, there was a sweet touch of the way that was used at the end because a couple scenes later he goes over to her place, right? She's still, he, I guess, brings her home from the hospital. She's still kind of recovering. Right. And he says, did you get my voicemail? She says, no, I haven't heard them yet. And then there's a kind of nice scene where she listens to her voicemail with him sitting right there. And as the incriminating voicemail, you know, admitting that he likes her begins, you know, we see his face looking at her and that's the end of the movie. I thought it was a nice beat for the movie to end on. I like the ending beat. And it's it's sort of even cleverer than that, but not too clever, I think, where she is lying down and she's still sort of sleepy. And she get there are two messages that precede Greenberg's message, one from one of her friends and one from her mother. And so she's lying there and we can't really hear what's going on on the phone. And she says, oh, this one's not you. This is G- my friend Gina. Oh, no, this one is my mom. And then there's a pause. And then she says, this is you, which, in the, you know, obviously means uh, the, the uh, obvious meaning of that is, oh, this one is your your call. But I think the, uh, you know, the implication is that she's saying this is you, this, you know, this that voicemail is you, that sort of unguarded moment of you saying I actually, you know, recognizing your faults and professing, uh, you know, that, that he <clears throat> that he's willing to actually admit that he likes Florence, that that is the real Greenberg, not the guy we saw, you know, we've seen throughout the movie who's so awful. 
which is uh, the double meaning there of this is you I thought was also kind of I guess nice. I don't know if I believe it. the last line of the movie then. Right. right. And then the uh, and I think that actually it works really well as a bookend because we were talking earlier about the kind of opening set piece which just doesn't have any Greenberg it's all Florence driving around and you know we see her it's sort of just music and uh, images of her driving around and the but the first line of dialogue in the movie if you remember is um, Greta Gerwig's character trying to change lanes and looking in the rearview mirror and she says are you going to let me in let me in which again is like has a, an obvious meaning of she's trying to get into that lane but the movie really is about her you know getting greenberg to let her into his life um Look and at you for someone who hated it you've got some nice <laughs> readings of the first and last line like, well i th- you know i thought i thought those moments were you know were nice i don't but again i guess the pro- my problem with it is that i i at the end of the day i didn't want her to be led into Greenberg's life because, like you said, I, I don't think that's going to end well for her. And she seemed, while doormatish, not the not as nearly as screwed up as Greenberg. And I can only see her getting more screwed up by spending her life with, or any more time with with uh, Roger Greenberg. So, while I thought those moments had some nice resonance, I still didn't want that relationship to happen. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, which is Audible.com. As regular listeners know, if you sign up for a one-book-a-month subscription to Audible through our URL, which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, you'll get a credit good for one free book. And that book is yours to keep, even if you cancel your subscription during the two-week trial period. Again, that address is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. And our recommendations for this week are loosely inspired by the movie. Um, Baumbach has mentioned um, that he's influenced by a few mid-century writers for the character of Greenberg, people who write about men at a moment of crisis in their lives. And some of the ones that he cited were Saul Bellow, Philip Roth, John Updike. So we took a look around Audible and just randomly chose one of those, the one who has the most um, representation on Audible, I believe, which is um, Philip Roth. And you can find a lot of Philip Roth. I believe 24 books of Philip Roth are available on Audible, plus a lot of interviews with him and a fresh air interview with him. Um, so the ones that we'll just we'll just pluck at random out of the the large set of offerings are American Pastoral, which is read by Ron Silver, interestingly, and uh, The Human Stain, narrated by Dennis Boutsikaris. Both of those are available unabridged on Audible, so check it out. So I don't think we should finish talking about Greenberg without talking about the casting, because the casting of Ben Stiller in this movie is clearly what's going to draw a lot of people to the movie who might not otherwise see an independent Noah Baumbach movie of this sort. Right. Um, but it also, I think, is something that sort of drives a wedge into the heart of the movie, not because Stiller's bad in it. I actually think that he's quite good in the role and it seems to be exploring, you know, parts of himself as an actor that he hasn't gotten to in a while because he's not playing for the laughs, right? I mean, he gets some laughs, but he's not playing for the laughs, big broad laughs. Um, but he's Ben Stiller and you just can't get away from that. And there's he has to hold the camera so much in this movie. He's in virtually every scene, a lot of them completely by himself and silent. Right. And you really have to read a lot into just the, you know, the motions and the expressions on his face. And at every moment you see him, you're seeing Zoolander and you're seeing Night at the Museum. You know, you right. can't not be seeing these things. Yeah. Did that bother you as well? It did. It definitely did. Um, you were saying last night when we left the movie that, um, you know, it was sort of an act of will constantly in this movie to be forgetting that he's that he's Ben Stiller. Um, and I definitely was struggling with that, too. And I think part of the part of the problem is he really does. It's not just, oh, it's Ben Stiller in a Noah Baumbach movie. It's Ben Stiller in a Noah Baumbach movie that if Ben Stiller, if you were to take him out, it would almost the cast would look like the cast of a mumblecore movie. I mean, Greta Gerwig is a, is very much a, a mumblecore uh, transplant, um, but Mark Duplass, who plays one of the um, ex-bandmates, is also a, a guy who came out of the mumblecore movement. and As an actor and a director, both. Right. And so it's, it, it, the, you know, the... Ben Stiller is the only real uh, actor on on screen who has anything like that um, Hollywood cachet, I, with the exception, I guess, of Jennifer Jason Leigh, who who co-wrote the movie. Is that is that right? 
That's right. She's Noah Baumbach's wife, and she co-wrote the screenplay. Right. So, I guess one one scene that I that I thought was relatively strong, and I, I think it's. Um, Perhaps no accident is so. Jennifer Jason Lee is in the movie and plays uh, Beth, who was, I guess, the woman who Greenberg dated during the height of his uh, band days and college days. And he has a, 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 a somewhat awkward um, coffee date with her, sort of in the in the middle of the movie. And, and Greenberg, she is has children but is divorced. And I think Greenberg has this. Um, What's what's clear to the audience? Absurd hope that they'll somehow somehow rekindle their relationship, and that scene I thought was really great in part because I think um, Jennifer Jason Leigh's character in that in that scene is sort of a proxy for us because she isn't really taking any of Greenberg's uh, shit, and she doesn't really remember. Greenberg's clearly like he's um, sort of obsessed with. The, their relationship and remembers these little details from nights that they hung out and she's like I don't remember that I don't remember that happening and he, she completely takes the wind out of his sails in a way for for me at least was somewhat cathartic because I wanted someone to take the wind out of this guy's sails because he's so annoying um, and she and she basically does that and I thought in that scene the movie worked pretty well and I wondered if it, it was in part because Jennifer Jason Lee is you know someone who you kind of expect to see in a scene with Ben Stiller? Yeah, who maybe has sort of has the Hollywood star weight to to play against him yeah. more successfully. It's it's almost unfair to Greta Gerwig that she gets to play someone who's bulldozed by her boyfriend, and her boyfriend is played by a Hollywood actor who essentially does sort of bulldoze her in terms of recognizability. Yeah, quotient. and that's not to take anything away from any of the other actors. I actually think all of the actors in the movie are pretty were pretty good. I mean, I actually really like. I thought Greta Gerwig's performance was was well done and. Um, I thought the Reese Ifon's uh, performance is also pretty great. It's just there is just just this a disparity between the star power uh, and it's a little distracting. I think that this this might have been. I hate to say it because I do think Stiller does a good job, but I think just in terms of his sheer star power, that this would have been a stronger movie with somebody else in that role. Yeah. I it sounds, agree. though, like during the course of our conversation or in the, I don't know, 24 hours since you've seen it, you're won over a little bit more to liking this movie than you were at the time. Um, yeah, Are you I just mean, happy not to be in it anymore? <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't like the movie. There were parts of it that I um, that I that I think worked pretty well. Um, you don't like Noah Baumbach in general. But yeah, I don't really like Noah, Noah Baumbach in general. I think I understand why he makes movies about the kind of people that he makes movies about, and I sort of think that that's interesting. But I just don't enjoy spending time with those characters. I just don't. It's not really a. F- that, that kind of the, the cringes that he seems to enjoy uh, inducing in his audience and the kinds of assholes he's, he, he likes to um, portray in his movies. I just don't I just that's not what I want when I go to the movie. I don't want to I don't want to spend time with people like that. Um, that's not to take away. I, I think there are people who do who do enjoy that more than I do. And I think that he's very good at it. Um, but I think it's just a, purely a matter of taste. Um, I don't think that the movie was poorly executed. I think it, it was, in a lot of ways it was really well executed. I just didn't enjoy it. Its sour worldview was just something that you couldn't you couldn't bring yourself to. Exactly, uh, Dana was. Uh, you, you were you, you were kind enough to uh, before the screening last night go to a very good uh, French patisserie and uh, pick up some eclairs, uh, and you got one for me. Uh, and we weren't able to, to eat them before the screening because we were running a little bit late. But on the way out, uh, you you gave me a, a chocolate eclair that was to die for, and I sort of felt like that was. Uh, really necessary after that movie, like en- <laughs> ending the ending the night without that eclair to sort of like cleanse my my palate. It's from a Noah Baumbach antidote. Yeah, so like, maybe that's maybe this is just the eclair effect. I'm sort of you know I'm remembering the eclair more than the movie. But that so was a you damn recom- good. So you recommend this movie if slathered with a thick layer of creme anglaise. Exactly, exactly. You you need something uh, sweet afterwards to uh, restore your faith in humanity. <laughs> 
All right. Well, John, thanks so much for seeing this bitter movie with me and having a sweet eclair. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks again for the eclair. And thanks for joining me for this Slate spoiler special. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.